And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. What's up, hustlers? Welcome back. This is Andrew Morgans, founder of Marknology, here is today's host of Startup Hustle. Today, we're going to be talking about scaling globally and tips for success. And before I introduce today's guest, today's episode of Startup Hustle is powered by Fullscale.io. Hiring software developers is difficult. Fullscale can help you build a software team quickly and affordably and has the platform to help you manage that team. Visit Fullscale.io to learn more. Today's guest, we actually met uh, in uh, through partnership within within our agencies, and uh, we're just discussing um, you know the best ways to bring brands overseas, international scale, scaling internationally, um, and just picking each other's brain. Really talking about how we can help and service our brands the best. And I knew I needed to get him on the show so we could get to know him a little bit better, and really just talk about the opportunity that is out there for. Uh, brands to scale internationally. So, without further ado, Steph, welcome to the show. Thanks, Andrew. Nice to nice to be here. I'm happy to talk to all those hustlers out there, grinding every morning, every every night, trying to make some money. I've been there, done that, still doing that. So it's it's cool to be guest in this uh, awesome podcast. Steph is uh, is tuning in tonight uh, from the Netherlands. And uh, is actually it's 9:30 p.m. there. So uh, thanks for being on the show. I know our listeners love getting uh, you know a lot of the guests that that ecom is able to pull in from all over the world because uh, ecom is something that unites a lot of us. You know, it's something that you can be doing it in the UK or the EU or the Netherlands or or Australia or Canada or US. A lot of the same strategies, um, you know, bring us together. The network's really, really pretty small when, when you get get around to it. So, Steph, you're with a company called Marketplace Distry. Am I pronouncing right. that right or you got a little yes, accent correct, on that? correct, correct. Okay. Uh, I, I like to get it right, you know, do my best to try to try to pronounce things right. And I already you have already pronounced my name already good. So that's uh, the biggest achievement. Okay, okay. Steph Van Bokel. Yeah, <laughs> we're exactly. close. Okay, we're close. So, um, no, uh, you know, marketplace industry. Before we we'll get into that a little bit later, but really, an agency that helps U.S. Uh, Amazon sellers and brands really expand internationally and into Europe. Um, but like myself, I'm sure you have a story in how you got into this type of position, helping Amazon brands and helping them scale. Uh, where does your entrepreneurial journey start? Like, did you come out of uh, uni knowing you were going to be a businessman or a marketer or like, you know, how did you fall into uh, the, the Amazon world? Where's your, where'd your journey begin? Well, it, it didn't start with Amazon. Uh, okay. I'm surely also not going to end up with Amazon. Uh, actually, my I was not too ambitious when I was young at school. I was not, let's say, uh, you know, doing too well, let's say. Um, but on a certain moment, I don't know, something tweaked in me and I uh, became ambitious, uh, but mostly not 
Actually, it's actually a fun story. Um, it was a sort of. You a, should tell it. Tell it as detailed as possible. Yeah, it's actually not. I'm a little bit, a little bit embarrassed, but I was like 20, and then a friend of mine got in the network marketing business, and then from that moment on, I thought, okay, apparently everybody can make money. I can also drive a Ferrari, and uh, and that sort of uh, uh, sparked something and that uh, basically never went away now uh, 20 years later let's say or 18 years later never made any money in that business like basically nobody but it at least stimulated me to start thinking and starting my own business and the first business that I actually launched was a tree nursery okay so a, a friend of mine with who I was in school international business he wanted to start a tree nursery and I just basically said okay let's let's join and what year uh, was this what year was this this was I think in 2006 something like that around okay. that area so that was actually the first business uh, but that the business actually I sold not like a big exit or something that doesn't help work with the tree nursery basically you you grow trees and then after certain years they they are mature enough to be sold against a higher price so basically you sell out um, but uh, what I didn't like about the business it was not scalable. It was very labor-intensive job. And you need to be every, you know, when the sun was shining, you need to go out there, making sure that the, the fields were uh, wetted, let's say. And uh, so it was a very labor-intensive job. It also keeps you very local. Yep. You were unable to to move. So uh, obviously, uh, e-commerce has always been the reputation that you can do whenever, wherever, in any form of shape. So then shortly after that, I actually went into the, the e-commerce business. I've been in the marketplace industry already for, for 12 years. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so talk to me about the, the tree nursery um had you ever worked with plants or trees or like you know like this i want some of the story so you're just like okay i'm gonna start a business yeah well he Uh, knew and i just wanted to work so i didn't really basically care if if he said i basically didn't care what it was i just i just saw an opportunity to make some money and uh so um didn't have any preference also didn't didn't because i think I was actually discussing it a few days ago with actually also CEO of one of a very large e-commerce company in Southeast Asia. Um, most of the people, they just jump into a business because whatever, they got familiar with it, they worked at the company, the company stopped, they wanted to continue or whatever. If you have a certain uh, expertise, you're sort of creating your own uh, SWOT analysis and your own funnel. Nowadays, when a business opportunity comes by, you run it by your own, let's say, criteria funnel. So you start recognizing, can I I recognize the risk? Can I recognize the opportunity? Can I protect the margins? Is it a business that I like? Do I have the right capabilities? The capabilities that I need, do I want to find those capabilities? So after a certain uh, years of experience, you're much in a better position to start judging uh, where uh, and how you can make money. And also, it's also recognizable in the revenues and the margins you're making or year over year. In the beginning, when you start working as a business, basically nobody makes money. 
or one year yes or the year no <clears throat> but if after a certain number of years you start recognize okay instead of having one year on and you have one year off you start recognizing okay i have now five years on and one year off because obviously no business is always going to be profitable right it's almost impossible so i think that's the learning curve that you uh, that you go through 100 percent. okay so um the tree nursery business is done you're, you're moving on you're, you're thinking e-commerce because you want geographical freedom you want to be able to move around and not be localized um me yeah, very well, much. It, it actually started it was quite interesting i was working in, in a company in, in sales and there was one of the investors was a trader so like he was buying bulk stuff uh, from you know, company goes bankrupt. He buys down some old stock and then sells it. And he said, and I was actually a client of Groupon, and uh, and I liked the product. So uh, I was studying in France, and the friend said, "Why don't you just put it on uh, Groupon?" And I said, hmm, "Why not?" So basically, I called uh, Groupon and said, "Hey, uh, back then Groupon, keep in mind, was a daily deal site mm-hmm. where you can only uh, get uh, activities, right? Only uh, events, or hiking, or experiences. Or... Exactly. Then, on a certain moment, they launched one product per day. That's it. Nowadays, they have hundreds. It's a marketplace. So I basically, called them and say, "Okay, I have a product. It was an air purifier." Are you interested in, in in buying it? And then they said, yeah, we can, but you are responsible for the logistics and the customer support and the landing page. So, I said, okay, shit, I don't have that experience, but I mean, how difficult can it be? How hard can it be? Yeah, exactly. So, basically, so they put the product online and uh, my wife came back from work and uh, my uh, apartment was a warehouse. <laughs> so, that's... That's how I got roll into it. Then uh, I immediately also started to say, and Cooper was active in the Netherlands, but also in Germany, France, at least Spain. So I thought I was not thinking about all the complexity working internet. So I just called also France, at least Spain. And they said, yeah, why not? You were successful in the Netherlands. Why don't you also sell it in all the other countries? And that's basically how the whole international operational setup uh, started. Um, as you uh, navigated kind of just like how to ship, how to handle the logistics, like how to get set up in those countries to sell, uh, really started with Groupon. Yeah, with Groupon. I was actually for for two years, I was one of uh, Groupon Europe, one of the largest uh, providers. So what I basically did, and that was quite interesting, if I now look back, any deal is a 24-hour deal, and every product needs to be be a trend product. So I was con- continuously scouting for brands and products that uh, that on one hand I could get large quantities, get good payment terms, and also get good discounts because obviously you needed to go um, uh, yeah have give big discounts thirty percent went to discount and apart went to coupon. So you started becoming, let's say, quite uh, quickly, quick on the feet when it comes to convincing brands to start thinking internationally and start investing. So that also helped me gaining knowledge in how to steer brands to also start thinking international. For me, um, you know, I've been in the Amazon space 12 years, uh, was was one of the very first, uh, even in in a roundtable at Amazon there in Seattle, uh, for international brands, uh, uh, Amazon sellers that are selling internationally. I had one brand 
um at the end of it uh you know we started about 500,000 a year we ended at like 17 million across oh, wow. all of our our Amazon uh channels um we were in 11 different countries so uh you know very early on was looking for opportunities and ways to expand some because of just the clients I was like the, this particular client I was working with was open to it we only had three SKUs um with no real barrier it wasn't like a a food item or something like that right. so it was like it was a, a cleaning product right uh so it was um high, great reviews good price point and and expanding internationally just made sense we were on canada before there was a unified account that created a nightmare oh, for anyone that knows amazon just having separate an, an old grandfathered in canada account things like that but I, I saw early on, early, early on the opportunity for international expansion on Amazon and, and the options it gives you and the ability to try things on your U.S. account because you have stability in these other accounts. You know, you can be just more maneuverable and try things. Um, And so, I, you know, obviously, as the aggregators have come in the Amazon space, anyone that knows our arena that we play in. Uh, you know, if you're if they're talking to a U.S. brand, they're they're thinking, okay, what are the opportunities? And a lot of that is international exactly. expansion, right? Uh, but that was something I knew way before, uh, just from having a taste of it. Seasonality in Australia uh, for like you know winter brands here, it was a different seasonality. Right. Um, the German market was a big one. Uh, you know, just just launching there, and in the early days, you could just send product to Germany or or the UK, and it would you know distribute across. Um, but these were things like that for me, um, I knew way, way before I knew how to communicate it. Like I knew right. it was a great opportunity. I just couldn't speak to all of the different things that went into like VAT and taxes and, you know, things were changing fast where right. I think at one point in Germany or UK, uh, you could just ship right into FBA. And then soon after you had to have a warehouse, you had to have a business there yeah. that changed a lot of things, a lot of pivots, um, and not to take us down a rabbit hole, um, but just like, you know, a lot of learning is by doing, uh, or you learn little bit, bits and pieces as you go, as an agency, you get, to, you get all these opportunities because of the different brands you're working with, right. uh, you know, where are they and what are they doing? And, um, you know, getting to kind of like win or lose on their dime, uh, you know, as you learn, as they're pushing you to try new things. So, uh, I was definitely a Groupon customer, uh, back in the day, like I loved Groupon, um, Talk to me how, like, you know, just a little bit of the details, how it went from a warehouse in your in your apartment, uh, you know, with your wife or, or girlfriend at the time, unless your wife at the time, um, to, you know, now you're selling in these Groupons uh, of these different countries around you and maybe even trying to get U.S. product into Europe to sell on Groupon. I'm not sure. Uh, talk to me how that started to evolve for you. Well, you, you touched already some very interesting topics. Um, uh, the, all the things you're discussing, a lot of people don't really understand is that Amazon, Netherlands, Amazon, UK and Germany, Amazon.com is still the same platform with the same type of consumers, but that 99% of the Amazon sellers in the US don't sell on a pan-European level. That's crazy. 99% don't do it. But I believe in a, that a business should be run without borders. And, and that I'm going to answer your question, but I think it's a really interesting thing to really understand. Before the internet, long, 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 long time ago, uh, uh, if you had a business, you would have a, for example, you were selling TVs. And then uh, you were selling TVs uh, in one city 
uh, and if there would be a competitor sitting 50 kilometers further or let's say 100 kilometers further no issue because you were just targeting your own uh, area then internet came and then there was one entrepreneur that was smarter and that was basically removing all the clients from all those brands because he they were he was smarter than the rest so your competitor field enlarged quite quickly because you didn't look at the competitors in a 50 miles area we're looking at you know uh, hundreds of miles area but nowadays the, the businesses are there are much more operational solutions to start thinking cross-border so now you have a global competitive field so and that's i think a big shift that uh, we are now recognized specifically in, in europe is that you can be a local hero, but it's temporary. If you don't start investing immediately on an international level, on a certain moment, you're going to get eaten away by the big players. Because if you start working internationally, you're going to generate more resources. And the one with more resources over time is going to win. But just uh, as, a, as a small point, and I also want to touch the aggregator field, a very interesting field. Um, so how, how does it basically go? So um, I immediately started thinking internationally because I had a good relationship with Groupon. Groupon was active in multiple countries. The difficulty with Groupon is this is just a 24-hour deal. So you make money for 24 hours and then, you know, the next days you have nothing. You have to find so it's something, always yeah. quite complex to start continuously finding the new trend product. And then obviously there were competitors and it was just one deal. So you can imagine it was quite a hustle. Um, but if a product was successful in one country, they are most of the times also successful in the other country. So it was more easy to find one product and then just started launching it in 10 different countries. So uh, to give a bit of an insight, uh, the consumer in general wants to have a local experience. He, then the, the consumer has the idea that buying something outside their own country is going to impact the conversion rate, the customer experience, etc. So uh, that that you learn through the hard lessons, uh, let's say that that you learn through through experience. I would say uh, not to interrupt, but I, I just to add some color. I would say like the one exception to that, at least as a U.S. guy that orders from internationally, is uh, oftentimes I might get a custom product uh, from Etsy or something like that from Europe. Like, and that for me is like a this is a custom made thing from Europe. It's more like a, I actually see that as a positive right. uh, and I'm willing to buy it without it being local or like made in USA because I'm like, it's a custom item from Europe. Uh, it's unique. I can't get it here. Uh, it's something special that I want. Um, anything else I think falls under that bucket of what you're saying. That's like, eh, I get a little bit disenfranchised with something that's international. If it's coming from China or it's coming from somewhere else that I could get it locally, I'm going to try to get it locally. Right. No, it's, it's, it's true. Uh, you need to be really, really like and love the product and then the experience that it is uh, crafted in a certain area. You get a sort of romantic idea. But uh, uh, when it's not that emotional buy, then you look at more the practicality and then you just basically get scared. Will I get my product? Can I return it? Can I contact the customer support? Does, do they have a bank account where I can transfer money? Those type of uh, thoughts. Specifically, when you focus on the mass market, you want to avoid such, such thinking. So um, it evolved quite quickly from that. So, um, but nowadays you can go, for example, to a large, uh, for example, to UPS or DHL, and you say, I want to have an international uh, logistical contract. 
back then that was impossible. So I needed to fly to Paris to talk to La Poste. I flew to UK to talk to Royal Mail. I flew to Scandinavia to talk to Bring. Uh, and basically you make local arrangements. Uh, but then also you learn that per country, the service level is completely different. And mm-hmm. just to give you a very simple and practical shitty example, I made an agreement with Bring. Uh, and Bring is then the largest local shipping company. But I didn't really look at the terms. So what, one of the terms was that they, the, the newest post office doesn't have to be closer than 100 kilometers. So that's, you know, that's a really weird thing because in the Netherlands, the, the borders from left to right is just 100 kilometers. And then there's, you know, 60 million people living there. So there are post offices everywhere. But then you immediately need to start managing customer support because people say, I have to drive 100 kilometers. I want to return. I don't want to have the product anymore. So then you have a, you have a client that you're paying back. You have stock uh, in, in, in Norway or in Finland or in Sweden that you're trying to get back. Then they say, we only ship back once per three months. So it's a very <laughs> cash capital uh, business. And that sounds like that could have been uh, the first learning lesson on that one could have been costly. Exactly. So what's the problem with, uh, uh, with the operational business? Uh, what you want to avoid are variable costs that you cannot control. And these are costs that you are unable to control. So if you don't understand, don't understand how it works, you, you for sure don't want to make money. I'll tell you, because, uh, you know, Americans, we have 50 states, uh, like all our states, you know, we might have like 10 different countries here in the U.S. technically, like as far as like the, the way that the states are and how they run. And we have got Montana and Wyoming, a lot of places like that are just lots of land and far apart from, uh, you know, other like something like Jersey, um, where we've got like a lot of cities together. Um, thinking about I took a trip and this like I remember it vividly like i took a trip with my mom uh, 2019 i took her to italy it was like a goal of mine to take my mom on a trip okay we went to Where italy go? because i actually live in italy okay so they they went to rome i went okay. to madrid okay uh, they did the rome thing i was in madrid with my friend and then i went to valencia and then i met them in venice okay uh, so we did venice and then milan okay and uh i met them in venice beautiful city uh, for me, I mean, it's, uh, I'm just love history. So, uh, being there in Venice, I love that, uh, just for a little color, like the city was bustling, uh, but there was no cars or streetlights. And so it was like quiet and it was just, to me, that was just beautiful to like, kind of see people moving around and in a big city, you can hear people talking because it's not just like honking and, you know, starting and stopping of cars and yeah, motorcycles. Yeah. And it was just kind of beautiful. But my point of telling that story was. I'm in Italy, I'm seeing things for the first time, you know, and in Venice, everything is by, by boat, you know, uh, and I seen, uh, just this, um, I don't know what you call those like canoes, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. but, uh, I saw one full of Amazon packages oh, really? and, uh, <laughs> you know, it was just for me to think about like the last mile, like how do these products actually get delivered here in Venice? Yeah. Uh, probably a lot like other cities that are just have their challenges to them. You know, it was, it was literally a guy uh, on a boat, like, you know, with his stick paddling his way through the canals, uh, delivering the packages. And I'm just like, wow, they're That's reaching impressive. every corner of the world. Right. Yeah. Um, but we're talking about Groupon before, before your Amazon story begins and talking about some of the challenges there, like in Norway and Sweden and things like that. Um, 
and having to deal with all the different carriers. Uh, I, I can imagine, um, you know, some of my biggest mistakes in e-commerce and in Amazon, even for other clients have been logistical mistakes, you know, uh, no, but where e-commerce is logistics. It's yes. all about the, also from the customer experience, uh, it's about logistics. If you look at the complaints, it's almost about the product was delivered too late or was, I was not aware that it's going to be delivered or so e-commerce is, is operations is logistics for sure. Okay, so keep going. Um, you know, you're you're dealing with uh, you're flying to these countries. You're making arrangements with the uh, with the distrib or the distributors or or shipping providers or postal services in each of these countries. Um, still doing those one day sales on Groupon. Exactly. Like, have you have had you evolved at all at this point? Like in regards to like maybe selling on other channels or no? Actually, what Groupon? what was happened? We were very much specialized in uh, in in doing uh, big big volumes. But it was becoming a quite a complex business because you were it's quite a capital intensive business with low margins. So actually, after I think three, four years of scaling it from, uh, I don't know, from, from zero to I think in the last month, I was doing 600K in one month, uh, it was no longer profitable. So I decided to actually close the business. And that was quite a, a difficult thing. You know, I had like 25 uh, FTE back then that I basically had to call them all in and say, hi guys, it's the market is changing, it's more compa competitors, there is demands are too low. So basically we, we closed the company to avoid actually going into the minus uh, and, uh, and go bankrupt. Uh, and leave and leave people with, with, with debts with the company. That's something that what I didn't want to do. And that was in 2014. Okay. And then what I then did, but I had obviously my network and my experience. So what I started doing is, okay, I was hiring myself as a consultant to say, okay, you want to start selling internationally. And I was not only doing Amazon, uh, sorry, I was not doing uh, Groupon. I was doing multiple uh, e-commerce sales channels uh, by then. So I started to become a, um, um, I started to become an interim manager, basically working inside companies from six months to a year to set up the international operation. So I was looking at the warehouse, the warehouse management system, the customer support, which language did they speak, the logistical providers, which had the, what were the terms. So basically working inside and making the company scalable to start selling on an international level. Uh, and was this European businesses going to the US or was this US businesses or international businesses actually, coming actually to both. the US? Actually okay. both. I launched a few businesses in, uh, in the US a Swiss company and a German company and a Dutch company. Uh, but I also helped a lot of uh, US brands uh, coming to uh, to Europe. Actually, the reason why I started Marketplace Distry is because an American company, I was sitting at the Amazon headquarters to, for them, set up the, because they're quite successful on Amazon, they did like 7 million Amazon.com selling stethoscopes. And they basically hired me to set up the European operation, also to start working with uh, with Amazon. And then I was uh, talking with Amazon uh, after doing years of this consultancy type of activities. And Amazon was saying, yeah, but we have a big problem. All the brands have an issue of working with us because from an operational and contractor point of view, you cannot compare Amazon with any other sales channel. So then I was actually uh, f uh, flying back and I was like in the airplane. I said, okay, instead of going from project to project to project, 
why don't I design the complete infrastructure around this massive sales channel? Because Amazon in Italy, for example, and the rest of Europe, so 50% of the total e-commerce market and offered as a service. So I call it IaaS, Amazon Infrastructure as a Service. We have the whole Shabam in-house, from the warehouse, the logistics, the custom spot, the translations, everything that we do in-house. And from that moment on, that was in 2018, uh, I basically, I launched Marketplace Distry and, and went to companies saying, okay, uh, Amazon is the largest sales channel. You are not operational capable to work with them, but so you're missing the opportunity. You cannot invest in your own in-house setup because it's going to take you minimum six months and a couple of hundred thousand euro. And still, you're not going to be on a professional level. So why don't you just let us organize it and you're immediately working with our borders and on a professional level. And that's how it basically uh, got, uh, got started. I love that. I love that. Solving that, just using your experience from one, leapfrogging into another, consulting for four years, uh, and then ultimately building your agency. And honestly, my journey yeah, is but not we are that... an agency. I, uh, we are an operator. Correct. Because, correct. Because in the, because what you um, and I, again, I don't blame you obviously, but in the US, Amazon is all about performance, brand development, brand reputation. While in Europe, if you don't control the local operations, you there is no brand development. So we are an operator, and actually we work with agencies like uh, you know, like yourself to develop a brand and to add. I love it. I love it. Um, as an agency, so I'm a bit of a hybrid, and I think that's where my terminology can get confused because we're doing multiple things here at Technology. I've got my ten plus brands of my own that I'm building, and we oh. have warehousing and we're doing the operations and fulfillment and branding and marketing and and the full nine yards uh and That's then true. you know as an agency we have to depend on on the brands that we're working with to cover the operational side right we are dependent on uh their inventory supply chain um you know fulfillment uh partners we're dependent on all of those things to our success as their agency um even on the U.S. side, even without going internationally, right? There's a level of it. And there's others that have been built, like Pattern would be one that I think of, that they buy the product from the brands and then control everything. Uh, but there's a lot of brands that want to be able to do that in-house and manage their their branding, their content, their their customer data, their PPC, all of those things. So there's always going to be, you know, multiple types of customers. Uh, but if you told me the number one thing, uh, you know, we, we started something a couple of years ago, we were just like, tired uh exhausted here at the team you know we were just like writing on the whiteboard and we wrote the 10 commandments of amazon and uh you know the first three were uh inventory 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 right because uh <laughs> yeah, yeah. and they only do so much if 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 uh brands can't handle their supply chain like nothing else matters right operationally right. and and depending on where you are the u.s can be even kind of lax you can think that amazon's tough but I'm telling you, go to some of these other countries and try to sell there uh, and don't fall in line. Don't get your operations right and you'll be shut down in no time. You know, and right. if you know anything about Amazon, uh, one count being in trouble can make the others in trouble. And it's just, you know, it's a domino effect. Um, before I jump into our next set of questions, uh, finding expert software developers doesn't have to be difficult, especially when you visit fullscale.io where you can build a software team quickly and affordably. Use the full-scale platform to define your technical needs and then see what available testers, leaders, uh, developers uh, are ready to join your team. Visit fullscale.io to learn more. Thankful for our sponsors. Steph, back to you. Um, okay, so 
2018, and, and I was just comparing to that because for years, Marknology is technically going on our ninth year as an agency. Uh, since I created the LLC, I started hiring and, and building my team. But really, you know, the first three or four years were really uh, project to project, being right. a consultant, being a contractor, being a freelancer, the industry hadn't developed. And, and I was just gaining experience much like yourself taking right. on projects, taking on brands, uh, trying to get my name out there, trying to learn uh, about e-commerce and business on the go along with brands. Uh, and I would say it's really like, you know, 2017, 18, 19. And, you know, these are the years that really like we started being an agency, um, a, a legitimate company, knowing what our model was, knowing what I was trying to solve for, knowing who I was trying to help. So, uh, you know, the glory years of 14 through 18 on Amazon where private label sellers were crushing it and, and millions were made and millionaires were made, more millionaires than, than anywhere else. Uh, those were the hot years. Those were the years I got all of my experience. So mm -hmm. I wasn't building my own brands at that time, but in that time period, uh, where it was the entrepreneur, the four hour work week guy trying to come and build something quickly and get out or build something to, to not have to work a lot. I think from 17, 18 on has been where more of the legitimate, not that anyone else is not legitimate, forgive my words, but where like more established brands, uh, are taking Amazon seriously True. and saying, Hey, we need help with this. We need to go into this. We need an agency or we need a partner to help us, uh, you know, facilitate this. And that's where Marknology really got some legs, right. uh, when, when, when those brands really started coming to, to the platform. Um, so knowing we're on kind of the same timeline in regards to just like being in this space and then bring legitimacy to, to to our company and really offering that service and knowing what we're really offering because we were really pioneering the space there was you know there was no even partnership with amazon till 19 or 20. Oh, um, wow. right that, that was their first partnerships uh and we were we were on board then but those didn't even exist until 19 or 20. so they weren't even thinking about agencies or partners or anything like that before then it was just a bunch of consultants contractors freelancers you know out there doing our thing um, so we're like at this time, I guess, like you, you create marketplace history, um, you know, like what your offering is and how you're going to offer it. And you're like, look, let's just get them out of the way. We're going to make sure that we hit all of these things. Um, to me, that's somewhat what Amazon is in general it is a marketplace that forces you to hit these operational goals, like, or, or, or you have to go, um, Talk to me about what happened next. Was it like, you know, uh, has it been an uphill battle for me being first in the Amazon space in regards to services? Like it was an uphill battle trying to get brands to understand why they needed our help and how we could help and, and those types of things because they weren't hearing it from other sources. It wasn't right. in all of the news. It wasn't in all these articles and things like that. Now it is. It's a lot easier conversation. Uh, but what was it like for you there in Europe, uh, you know, kind of taking what you had as a consultancy into the next level? Well, I think uh, the, 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 the podcast called Hustle. So I started hustling to the max, um, basically using my Groupon experience with talking to brands every day. You should start thinking internationally. You need to because back then I did like 3,000 campaigns with hundreds of different suppliers so i got quite experience with explaining brands that the future is e-commerce the future are marketplaces and the future is cross-border so once i went out of the consultancy business and i started uh, recruiting brands again for amazon i was just picking up the phone calling 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 and uh, and become 
uh, in, in a very short term, one of the largest catalog suppliers in, in Europe. We have uh, over 330,000 Asians right Ooh. now alive. Yeah, crazy, really crazy. Um, um, so that was really hustling to the, to the max, getting as much brands in as possible. And now if you look back uh, in this learning curve over these uh, last, last years is that, I mean, um, I thought I understood, and I, but I, I didn't, right? The, the, the product that we were offering was not fine-tuned enough to, on one hand, serve my needs, but didn't serve the needs of the brands. Uh, so uh, it's been quite a ride, uh, not only for me, but for the whole team, also within the management team, we are now completely different running the business than, uh, than, than four or five years ago. So um, you started with an idea as a former consultant perspective to think you have something all figured out, but during the way you are realizing, okay, this is a same with, 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 with running a business is like a moving puzzle. You continuously need to puzzle the market developments, competitors that are coming up, prices are increasing specifically in the last two years. But that's also a bit, I think, the, the, the fun uh, and the challenging part of, uh, of running a startup. No, 100%. And I think that's what's, if you're not looking to A-B test and try new things and continue to innovate and learn, e-commerce is just not the right business model for you. You need to be somewhere else because, uh, you know, it's one of the most exhausting things about being an expert, I guess, if you want to call yourself in that space, is that the demand is, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, you used to like, if you worked 20 years at something, uh, you were a pro. You knew it inside yeah, and out. Yeah, you were yeah. going to do that job. You were going to grow trees, make them. You could diagnose them, see the disease on the leaves, like know what they needed, know what they weren't getting. You could just, you know, you're going to do that every single day. You're going to get amazing at it and you're going to be a pro. Uh, in e-commerce, you could take your foot off the gas <laughs> or stop learning for two years and be done. You know, you could, exactly. You it's could like be that. old news, you know. So it, it is something that's stressful to um Anyone that's an industry expert, I think it's also why it's so important to have a team because a team can learn in different areas all the time right. and continue to bring that knowledge back to everyone and, and why, you know, uh, you can't have just one man or woman in your team running e-commerce or Amazon for you. It's just too hard for them. True. To there is no such, no such thing as Amazon, Amazon manager. Then, then there's a plan to plan to fill you for sure. Tell me, tell me just a little bit about, um, you know, the idea you guys started out with versus where you guys are today and less time about like, but what were some of those major hiccups that you had to like kind of pivot through uh, and, and change the model, I guess, you know, I think there's no better test to what you guys built than uh, continuing to run during the pandemic, right? Uh, like, you know, those years were true, I'm sure trial years that everybody, you know, pivoted in some ways. But okay. what, what are some of those key things that uh, you guys are doing differently today? Well, I, th I think the key thing is mostly the attitude, because I think you need to be happy when things change. I used to be always think, oh no, the requirements are more difficult, the compliance is there, the delivery window is shorter. And you'll think, oh, I just finally set up the operation to work smoothly and then I need to adjust it again. Nowadays, I'm happy that happens because Amazon has 10 and a half million companies selling to them. And there's not only Amazon, it's everywhere, right? So there is a lot of continuously merging, like companies becoming larger, becomes more, more complex. 
and uh, it is the one that is most adjustable the one famous quote but that's actually the one that is going to survive you need to be able to adjust so you should as a, a entrepreneur think okay good more rules more complex yes because you're going to push out the competitors that are not thinking from the from that perspective that are lazy or that are too heavy to to pivot you know like a boat in the water it's got too much weight it can't turn quickly exactly uh, the art of the pivot right so and i think so that's i think the biggest learning that you can have within a company so you know uh, uh, embrace the change one and i think secondly specifically during the pandemic i've had you know i mean it's been a very rough way of running a business because uh supply chain issues price increases price increases we have like 100 brands and uh, suppliers that we work for in all kinds of product categories and i we were used to get an average of twice price increases per year so, okay, that's doable, that's manageable, never nice, of obviously, but during the pandemic, we had almost every month price increases and they're not with two or 3%, sometimes even 20%. That requires, it's almost impossible to steer on that. So the only thing that you can steer is crunching the numbers. And now I'm saying it, oh, you know, I understood it all. I now know what it is. It was also, uh, you know, painful lessons that are very expensive lessons to learn that, you know, your P&L, your, your cost price analysis, your knowing any cost basically is the most important thing to be able to steer with any market developments. Uh, so I think uh, those are the two main things. One is, you know, embrace the change and secondly know your margins to so you can at least steer make sure you don't have to be profitable but at least you, as long as you're not burning money during a heavy uh, moment that's i think the number one key i uh, couldn't agree more i literally went uh live with a um on youtube with another um amazon expert today and that's really what i was bringing to the to the table uh, was evaluating a PL, uh, a PL of a brand and really being able to look at one that was looking badly in the red, red all over the place and uh, where to make adjustments, how to view it, um, you know, and something that even uh, as someone that plays somewhat of the CFO role here at Marknology still, uh, something that used to be a, a sense or an area of insecurity for me was really digging into the numbers. Uh, you know, I was good at a at an overall, like, you know, as long as things are good, like I, I'm, I've been good with a budget, but really getting into the nitty gritty yep. has been something that's taken me um, years to get just confident around. And uh, but something that used to be my weakness is now my strong suit in a lot of ways, uh, because I just knew how important it was and and can't say that enough. The brands is one. Yes. When the pandemic was happening, I've got I got excited, uh, not because of the danger of the pandemic, but being in e-commerce. <clears throat> You know, I felt like it was going to jump us forward, uh, which it did. Uh, and I'm somebody from the bottom with like, you know, I've had to create and carve out every opportunity I've ever had as a person. And so for me, I've always liked the hard stuff because the hard stuff was where I could make gains on everyone else. Right. I just, you know, uh, not saying I'm the smartest in the room, but maybe the hardest working. I work really, really hard. I hustle hard. Right. And I would see these opportunities as like, look, Airbnb, Airbnb, uh, you know, short-term rentals, Airbnb. Do you know, do you have those in the Netherlands? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so Airbnb just changed the laws here in Kansas City, uh, making it a lot harder for people to host. They have to have, <laughs> like, 
they've had to have permits, but now they have to have permits. They have to be in these certain areas. Like you can't do it like this. You have the permission from the neighbors. There's just all these rules and regulations now and people are in an uproar. Well, I'm smiling, you know, honestly, I'm not excited that they're, that they're struggling, but as somebody that, that has my own, that the market has gotten hard, uh, I've done everything the right way. I did all of the hard work ahead of time. Uh, and I will continue to do that. And so same thing with e-com, Airbnb, whatever, whenever there's a, a challenge, like it's cliche, but that is the opportunity. It's you know? true. And so it's, it's true. It's cha- if you're looking for opportunities, well, things changing and things getting harder is the opportunity you're looking for. Right. You just have to lean into that. Um, and I can go on with you forever. I want to, I want to give you like a couple minutes here at the end of the show, talk about where people can get in contact with you. Uh, and then, uh, two questions for you. One is, uh, what is something you're excited about that marketplace history is doing in 2023, mm-hmm. something you're excited about in the business and then something that you're working on or excited about, uh, in your personal life as stuff. Okay. That's a good one. So, uh, Greg, quickly inform you who we are, what we do. Uh, so we are uh, Amazon uh, marketplace operators. We have a complete in-house team. We act uh, as import of record. We act as merchant of record. Basically, we make sure that any brand from the US or any or from Europe or outside Europe is able to enter the European market in a matter of weeks against a fraction of the cost and a fraction of the time. So we basically run Amazon end-to-end against a retainer business with a success fee. That's who we are and what we do. Uh, I think the the most exciting thing that we are now uh, busy about is that we work a lot with agencies. Uh, Why do we like to work with agencies? Agencies already have relationships with brands. So instead of me talking to 50 brands, I can talk to one agency that manages 50 brands. And the agency stays within their comfort zone because they focus on the brand development activities, the brand performance activities, while we on the background do all the boring stuff. So everybody stays within the comfort zone, but everybody can invoice more, the brand, because we're opening up nine countries, the agency, because they're extending their marketing services to nine countries without actually having the local knowledge, because we provide the local support. And we obviously by basically uh, pushing more volume towards our infrastructure. So that is for me really interesting. Why? Because I prefer to work together with an agency uh, and, and being able to obviously from a scalability perspective, this is much more interesting. Convincing 50 brands or convincing one agency that brings on 50 brands is from a scalability point of view, obviously very nice. And I think also that's uh, as, a, as a tip towards all the listeners here. I think scalability is the key in any business concept. You need to look on creating leverage, 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 leverage. So I think that should be 20% of your time is looking at your business where you're able to to scale it. Because when you can scale it, you can make some money. If you don't scale, if you don't create leverage, you're going to work as hard today uh, or, or next week or in two years from now. You need to start creating leverage. Then you're going to create some value for yourself and value also for your company and you're going to be able to also see progress on all levels. The thing that I'm personally excited about is um, um, I'm actually busy with recruitment of a managing director. I'm now the founder and the managing director and I'm going back into the business development role. Um, and I think that's also a, a big lesson. It's not all roles suit you. Uh, for me, the managing director role suits when I was a startup because you know you do a lot of things on energy and sales obviously is super important. 
But then you reach a certain level, you get a management team and they need to be stimulated, etc. And you need to be good in that. If you don't, if you're not good, if you don't, don't have the right capabilities, you're a danger to your business. That's At good least advice. If you, ha- if you, if you want to grow, you know, 10, 20% per year and you're happy with that, uh, you know, then, you know, keep sitting where you are. But if you are very ambitious goals, then you always need to be critical also towards yourself. So uh, mostly about yourself because you're your own enemy. Um, so I'm excited to almost set a moment to say to people, hey, sorry, not my problem. Uh, talk to this uh, new guy. Uh, so I can actually do again the thing that excited me five years ago is, you know, business development and uh, recruitment of new brands and thinking about concepts. Uh, that's uh, it's what makes me excited. I love it. And I'm someone that's gone through that same phase myself. Last couple of years, I've been very much scaling management, improvement, optimization of, of the uh, of the system for scaling. I don't love it. I don't love nitpicking areas. I like thinking about growth and relationship and like new ideas. Uh, you know, that's what got me into this in the first place. It's definitely what I enjoy. I get more fulfillment out of things like this, being on a podcast, building relationships, uh, you know, putting feelers out there. Um, but you do what you have to do. You have to, you do what you has to get done. Um, right. you know, that's what hustlers do. So, uh, but it's good to know that and be like, look, I'm going into this role for a year, two years, whatever I have to do to get it done. But as soon as I can, I'm going to try to get somebody else in this spot or promote someone within or train someone within. So uh, awesome. I'm going to have all of Steph's contact links in the bio, but Steph, just quickly here verbally, where can people get in contact with you, follow your journey, uh, learn more about Marketplace Distry? Well, uh, find me on LinkedIn, uh, the Steph from Buchel. Yeah, it's, well, it's good that you're going to put it in the links because you're not going to be able to recognize it. And obviously to our website, marketplacedistry.com. Awesome. Thank you so much, Steph. Thank you, Hustlers, for tuning in. Uh, It's been an awesome episode, really just learning about uh, an opportunity that is, uh, you know, scaling globally and what it can mean for businesses. And as business gets hard, I'm telling you guys, international expansion is where it's at. It takes time to get going with Steph. It really cuts that time down. Um, You know, find something that's doable, that's bite-sizable for you uh, in 2023. And and I think... uh, Going to Europe is is there. There's a whole lot more that comes into uh, selling globally uh, outside of operations, which is, uh, you know, really getting the marketing messaging down. You know, you can't sell the, ger- the German market the same way you can to the U.S. market. you got to localize. you got to learn some of these things, translations, um, you know, and, and the different nuance that goes in between the, the different marketplaces like demand. But uh, operations is 100% the most important. And, uh, Steph, this has been a great, uh, a great hour really chatting through um, you know, how long it's even taken you to learn about those things to then be able to, to build a business to help others. So um, absolutely awesome. And thanks again to our sponsor, Fullscale.io. Do you need to hire software engineers, testers, or leaders? Let Fullscale help. When you visit Fullscale.io, all you need to do is answer a few questions, then let the platform match you up with a fully vetted, highly experienced team of software engineers, testers, and leaders. At Fullscale, they specialize in building long-term teams that work only for you. Learn more when you visit Fullscale.io. Steph, uh, thank you for staying up late with us and uh, thank you for all your knowledge. We'll see you next time. Thanks, Andrew. It was nice, uh, nice being here. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time. <laughs>